Chapter eighty one, part ten of the Adventures of Peregrine Pickle, volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of a Lady of Quality, part ten. I enjoyed my new house as a little paradise. It was accommodated with all sorts of conveniences. Everything was new and therefore pleasing, and the whole absolutely at my command. I had the company of a relation a very good woman, with whom I lived in the most amicable manner. Was visited by the best people in town. I mean those of the male sex, the ladies having long ago forsaken me. I frequented all reputable places of public entertainment, and had a concert at home once a week, so that my days rolled on in happiness and quiet, till all my sweets were embittered by the vexatious behavior of my husband, who began to importune me again to live with him and by the increasing anxiety of Lord B., who, though I still admitted his visits, plainly perceived that I wanted to relinquish his correspondence. This discovery raised such tempests of jealousy and despair within his breast that he kept me in continual alarm. He sent messages to me every hour, signed his letters with his own blood, raved like a man in ecstasy of madness, railed at my ingratitude, and praised my conduct by turns. He offered to sacrifice everything for my love, to leave the kingdom forthwith, and to live with me forever in any part of the world where I should choose to reside. These were generous and tempting proposals, but I was beset with counsellors who were not totally disinterested, and who dissuaded me from embracing the proffers of my lover on pretense that Lord hmm, would be highly injured by my compliance. I listened to their advice and hardened my heart against Lord B.'s sorrow and solicitations. My behavior on this occasion is altogether unaccountable. This was the only time that ever I was a slave to admonition. The condition of Lord B. would have melted any heart but mine, and yet mine was one of the most sensible. He employed his cousin as an advocate with me, till that gentleman actually refused the office, telling him candidly, that his own inclinations were too much engaged to permit him to perform the task with fidelity and truth. He accordingly resolved to avoid my presence until my lord and I should come to some final determination, which was greatly retarded by the perseverance of his lordship, who would not resign his hopes, even when I pretended that another man had engaged my heart, but said that in time my affection might return. Our correspondence, however, gradually wore off, upon which Mr. B. renewed his visits, and many agreeable and happy hours we passed together. Not that he or any other person whom I now saw succeeded to the privilege of a fortunate lover. I knew he loved me to madness, but I would not gratify his passion any other way than by the most profound esteem and veneration for his virtues, which were altogether amiable and sublime and I would here draw his character minutely, but it would take up too much time to set forth his merit. The only man living of my acquaintance who resembles him is Lord F., of whom I shall speak in the sequel. About this time I underwent a very interesting change in the situation of my heart. I had sent a message to my old lover S., desiring he would allow my picture, which was in his possession, to be copied and he now transmitted it to me by my lawyer, whom he directed to ask if I intended to be at the next masquerade. 
this curiosity had a strange effect upon my spirits my heart fluttered at the question and my imagination glowed with a thousand fond presages i answered in the affirmative and we met by accident at the ball i could not behold him without emotion when he accosted me his well-known voice made my heart vibrate like a musical chord when its unison is struck all the ideas of our past love which the lapse of time and absence had enfeebled and lulled to sleep now awoke and were re-inspired by his appearance so that his artful excuses were easily admitted i forgave him all that i had suffered on his account because he was the natural lord of my affection and our former correspondence was renewed i thought myself in a new world of bliss in consequence of this reconciliation the rapture of which continued unimpaired for the space of four months during which time he was fonder of me if possible than before he repeated his promise of marriage if we should ever have it in our power he assured me he had never been happy since he left me that he believed no woman loved like me and indeed to have a notion of my passion for that man you must first have loved as i did but through a strange caprice i broke off the correspondence out of apprehension that he would forsake me again from his past conduct i dreaded what might happen and the remembrance of what i had undergone by his inconstancy filled my imagination with such horror that i could not endure the shocking prospect and prematurely plunge myself into the danger rather than endure the terrors of expectation i remembered that his former attachment began in the season of my prosperity when my fortune was in the zenith and my youth in its prime and that he had forsaken me in the day of trouble when my life became embarrassed and my circumstances were on the decline i foresaw nothing but continual persecution from my husband and feared that once the keener transports of our reconciliation should be over his affection would sink under the severity of its trial in consequence of this desertion i received a letter from him acknowledging that he was rightly served but that my retreat gave him inexpressible concern meanwhile lord hm continued to act in the character of a fiend tormenting me with his nauseous importunities he prevailed upon the duke of l to employ his influence in persuading me to live with him assuring his grace that i had actually promised to give him that proof of my obedience and that i would come home the sooner for being pressed to compliance by a person of his rank and character induced by these representations the duke honoured me with a visit and in the course of his exhortations i understood how he had been thus misinformed upon which i sent for lord hm and in his presence convicted him of the falsehood by communicating to his grace the articles of our last agreement which he did not think proper to deny and the duke being undeceived declared that he would not have given me the trouble of vindicating myself had he not been misled by the insincerity of my lord baffled in this attempt he engaged mr h v and afterwards my own father in the same task and though i still adhered to my first resolution persisted with such obstinacy in his endeavours to make me unhappy that i determined to leave the kingdom accordingly after i had spent the evening with him at ranelagh 
I went away about two o'clock in the morning, leaving my companion with directions to restore to my lord his house, furniture, plate, and everything he had given me since our last accommodation. So far was I upon this occasion, or at any other time of my life, from embezzling any part of his fortune. My friend followed my instructions most punctually, and his lordship knows and will acknowledge the truth of this assertion. Thus have I explained the true cause of my first expedition to Flanders, whither the world was good-natured enough to say I followed Mr. B. and the whole army, which happened to be sent abroad that summer. Before my departure I likewise transmitted to Lord B. the dressing-plate, china, and a very considerable settlement of which he had been generous enough to make me a present. This was an instance of my integrity, which I thought due to a man who had laid me under great obligations, and though I lived to be refused a small sum by both him and S., I do not repent of my disinterested behavior. All the revenge I harbor against the last of these lovers is the desire of having it in my power to do him good. I now found myself adrift in the world again and very richly deserve the hardships of my condition for indiscretion in leaving lord b and entrusting the word of lord hm without some further security but i have dearly paid for my imprudence the more i saw into the character of this man whom destiny hath appointed my scourge the more i was determined to avoid his fellowship and communication for he and i are in point of disposition as opposite as any two principles in nature in the first place, he is one of the most unsocial beings that ever existed. When I was pleased and happy, he was always out of temper, but if he could find means to overcast and cloud my mirth, though never so innocent, he then discovered signs of uncommon satisfaction and content, because by this disagreeable temper he banished all company from his house. He is extremely weak of understanding, though he possesses a good share of low cunning which he has so egregiously imposed upon some people that they have actually believed him a good-natured easy creature and blamed me because i did not manage him to better purpose but upon further acquaintance they have always found him obstinate as a mule and capricious as a monkey not that he is utterly void of all commendable qualities he is punctual in paying his debts liberal when in good humour and would be well-bred were he not subject to fits of absence, during which he is altogether unconversable. But he is proud, naturally suspicious, jealous equally with and without cause, never made a friend, and is an utter stranger to the joys of intimacy. In short, he hangs like a damp upon society, and may be properly called killjoy, an epithet which he has justly acquired. He honored me with constant professions of love, but his conduct is so opposite to my sentiments of that passion as to have been the prime source of all my misfortunes and affliction, and I have often wished myself the object of his hate in hopes of profiting by a change in his behavior. Indeed, he has not been able to make me more unhappy than I believe he is in his own mind, for he is literally a self-tormentor who never enjoyed one gleam of satisfaction except at the expense of another's quiet. And yet, with this, I had almost called it diabolical quality, he expects that I should cherish him with all the tenderness of affection. After he has been at pains to incur my aversion, 
he punishes my disgust by contriving schemes to mortify and perplex me which have often succeeded so effectually as to endanger my life and constitution for i have been fretted and frighted into sundry fits of illness and then i own i have experienced his care and concern over and above the oddities i have mentioned he is so unsteady in his economy that he is always new modelling his affairs and exhausting his fortune by laying out ten pounds in order to save a shilling he inquires into the character of a servant after he has lived two years in his family and is so ridiculously stocked with vanity and self-conceit that notwithstanding my assurance before the whole series of my conduct since our marriage which ought to have convinced him of my dislike he is still persuaded that at bottom i must admire and be enamoured of his agreeable person and accomplishments and that i would not fail to manifest my love were i not spirited against him by his own relations perhaps it might be their interest to foment the misunderstanding betwixt us but really they gave themselves no trouble about our affairs and so far as i know them are a very good sort of people on the whole i think i may with justice pronounce my precious yoke-fellow a trifling teasing insufferable inconstant creature with the little money which remained of what i had received from his lordship for housekeeping i transported myself to flanders and arrived in ghent a few days after our troops were quartered in that city which was so much crowded with these new visitants that i should have found it impracticable to procure a lodging had i not been accommodated by lord b the duke of a's youngest brother who very politely gave me up his own here i saw my friend mr b who was overjoyed at my arrival though jealous of every man in his acquaintance for he loved me with all the ardour of passion and i regarded him with all the perfection of friendship which had he lived in time might have produced love though that was a fruit which it never brought forth notwithstanding his earnest solicitations to the contrary i stayed but a week in ghent from whence i proceeded to brussels and fixed my abode in the hotel de flander among an agreeable set of gentlemen and ladies with whom i spent my time very cheerfully there was a sort of court in this city frequented by all the officers who could obtain permission to go thither and the place in general was gay and agreeable i was introduced to the best families and very happy in my acquaintance for the ladies were polite good-tempered and obliging and treated me with the utmost hospitality and respect among others i contracted a friendship with madame la contessa de c and her two daughters who were very amiable young ladies and became intimate with princess c and countess w lady of the bedchamber to the queen of hungary and a great favourite of the governor monsieur de h in whose house she lived with his wife who was also a lady of a very engaging disposition soon after i had fixed my habitation in brussels the company at our hotel was increased by three officers who professed themselves my admirers and came from ghent with a view of soliciting my love this triumvirate consisted of the scotch earl of n lord r m and another young officer the first was a man of a very genteel figure and amorous complexion danced well and had a great deal of good humour with a mixture of vanity and self-conceit the second had a good face though a clumsy person 
and a very sweet disposition very much adapted for the sentimental passion of love and the third mr w by name was tall thin and well-bred with a great stock of good-nature and vivacity these adventurers began their addresses in general acts of gallantry that comprehended several of my female friends with whom we used to engage in parties of pleasure both in the city and the environs which are extremely agreeable when they thought they had taken the preliminary steps of securing themselves in my good opinion and esteem they agreed to go on without further delay and that lord hmm should make the first attack upon my heart he accordingly laid siege to me with such warmth and assiduity that i believed he deceived himself and began to think he was actually in love though at bottom he felt no impulse that deserved the sacred name though i discouraged him in the beginning he persecuted me with his addresses he always sat by me at dinner and imparted a thousand trifles in continual whispers which attracted the notice of the company so much that i began to fear his behavior would give rise to some report to my prejudice and therefore avoided him with the utmost caution notwithstanding all my care however he found means one night while my maid who lay in my room went downstairs to get into my chamber after i was abed upon which i started up and told him that if he should approach me i would alarm the house for i never wanted courage and resolution perceiving my displeasure he kneeled by the bedside begged i would have pity on his sufferings and swore i should have carte blanche to the utmost extent of his fortune to these proposals i made no other reply but that of protesting i would never speak to him again if he did not quit my apartment that moment upon which he thought proper to withdraw and i never afterwards gave him an opportunity of speaking to me on the same subject so that in a few weeks he separated himself from our society though the ladies of brussels considered him as my lover because of all the other officers he was their greatest favorite End of chapter 81 part 10